Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hour number two of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow starts right now. we got some great coverage for you from SEC Media Days happening right here in Nashville at the Grand Hyatt. We're coming to you live right now from our downtown Nashville studios, 6th and Peabody, with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. Plenty to get into. We've got Zach Arnett coming up from Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State head coach, Gary Danielson of CBS later in the show, Tony Barnhart, Trey Wallace of OutKick, who is covering SEC Media Days, all coming up later in today's show. But right now, we want to hit some of the biggest topics of the day, and one of those topics involves a growing beef between current ESPN employee Stephen A. Smith and former ESPN employee Dan Lebitard. Stephen A. Smith went on a podcast of Dan Lebitard's, and Dan expressed his frustration and his hatred of the fact that the embrace debate mantra killed ESPN and that Stephen A. Smith had a big part in that. Stephen A. Smith came back at Dan Levitard a bit and now is saying that he needs to go look at his track record with his show highly questionable about what it was the demise of ESPN. Hutton, I, I read all this, I hear all this, and I think we got a lot of people acknowledging now that ESPN is having some trouble and everyone's really quick to point the finger at who's to blame or what's to blame at ESPN. And now you've even got one person who makes a ton of money from ESPN pointing the finger at Dan Lebitard because Dan Lebitard pointed the finger at him. Dan Lebitard, who made a ton of money at ESPN and I'm sure makes a ton of money now at Meadowlark got Media. Out, got out just got, in time. Got out at the right got out at the right time, but you know, throwing shade at his former employer. Not sure what to make of the, the finger pointing well, back and forth. And, and did it did it based on the layoffs that happened? He called it the darkest day. Yeah. For ESPN. Uh, there's a reason why Stephen A. Smith is paid and paid well and why he wasn't a part of those layoffs. And Dan Lebitard had Stephen A. on the Dan Lebitard show and had this to stay with Stephen A. starting things off. I hate what you two have done to sports television. You can say that all you want to. I would say, who the hell are you to sit up there and say me and him? What about you? What the talk, hell were you I'm living talking, under a rock, I'm teaching at, at Miami U? You were part of it too. I'm talking. You ain't innocent. I'm talking about all the imitators that you have birthed. All of the imitators that are all over the place thinking without the journalism credentials that the point of all this is to turn it into an argument on television. Well, I would take on Bridget what you're saying in this regard, Dan. Those people who don't have a journalism background, who don't exercise journalistic ethics and beyond, how are we responsible for that when our background is based on that? Skip Bayless was a journalist for decades. I was a journalist for decades. We came, we come on television and those ethics are applicable. The fact of the matter is, is that when I take a position, it's the same kind of position I would take writing a column. The difference is instead of writing 800 words and being limited to that space, I get to talk for a few minutes on each subject. When was it, when did it, when did it happen that I ignored the fact that I was a journalist for the 
Winston-Salem Journal, the Greensboro News and Record, the New York Daily News, and then the Philadelphia Inquirer. Before I went to CNNSI and then Fox Sports and then ESPN, when was it, when did it occur in my career that I ignored the journalistic tenets that came with the job? Oh, it's not ignoring them. It's that they shrink in the face of the need for the argument as entertainment. So that is Dan Levitard and Stephen A. Smith going back and forth. I find myself liking Stephen A. Smith a little bit more the, the more I hear him talk about issues like this. He made some great points to Dan Levitard. Um, but, you know, the truth here is both guys have made money off of debate, fake or otherwise, at points in their career. Well, uh, I understand where, where Levitard is coming from on this because it's not as much about – Stephen A. and Skip Bayless, as it is the other shows that imitate that are trying, and there's a reason why they're trying to imitate that is because they get eyeballs, right? But it's fake. I mean, if you like watching something that's manufactured, have at it. A lot of people do, but I mean, there's also a reason why Skip Bayless and Stephen A. are who they are, and while they cycled through trying to find the right replacement for Skip Bayless whenever he went to FS1 and why it's not easy to find someone to sit down across from Skip Bayless now. Let's also throw this in. This was the era, Chad, where, pardon the interruption, I believe started in 2000, 2001. And if you compare how that show runs versus First Take, which started 2006 or seven, I think, was yep. when things got off the ground. Vastly different in how we view both of those shows right now. Michael Wilbon admitted he doesn't know how to describe his job or who he is now because he's not some shock jock and he's not going to read off a prompter because some dude in New York told him to, right? He's going to think for himself in D.C. I respect the hell out of that. Stephen A. also does not do that. They're laying off people who do. I mean, the, the, Stephen A. is who they're backing based on the longevity uh, the journalism aspect of it. And when he says something, I don't think he's just reading a headline or reading a story and then regurgitating it as if it's his opinion. There's so many other people that do that. And the reason why they do and the reason why others try to imitate it, others being not hosts but bosses telling them to do this, to follow the script of first take, is because they feel like it's easy to script and manufacture debate. And it's just not. If it's not genuine, I don't care. And I think a lot of people have figured that out despite the 15-second clips that you'll see on social where someone gets in an uproar, and I'm not really positive if they really care what they're saying or not, if they really mean it or not. Yeah, look, I, I'm all for a good media beef when it's legitimate. I think these two guys, it's, it's pretty legitimate with, with what they're saying and the, the back and forth there and then how it's continued. Um, well said, Hutton, on all those points. I would also say we had someone in the YouTube chat earlier say that it's um, not punishing people for sharing far left-wing politics on air is what's ruined ESPN. I would change that and, and reiterate what Merrill Hodge said when he was on this show. It's the fact that ESPN, it's not about not punishing someone. They promoted it. I mean, he, Merrill Hodge outlined there was a meeting – in 2005 or 2006, around there, where they said, hey, we have the sports fan. We're going to go after other things now. 
there's no way we can lose our sports base. They're going to be there no matter what, no matter what we do, no matter what we say. So we're going to get more political. We're going to get more into entertainment. We're going to do more of this. Now, when you force that, much like forcing and manufacturing debate, and then you try to bring that back because you see that doesn't work, and you punish one side and not the other, that does lead to problems for ESPN. But I would argue it's not the fact that they wouldn't punish someone for talking politics or sharing a political statement on air. It's the fact they promoted it. And ultimately, Hutton, they got away from who they were. They got away from what built them into a giant in the sports world. They lost their way. They started reading their own headlines. They bought into their own BS. And because of that, well, they've suffered some. Well, but let's, also, let's just be honest with it, too. They became the, the people that want to rub elbows and, and talk shop with all the celebrity athletes at the ESPYs. That's why they throw that. So they can get behind closed doors and fly everyone in and celebrate, you know, all things ESPN. Themselves. And then whenever you're, you know, now in that group, you're going to promote that group's way of thinking and all the causes and initiatives behind it. But I, I don't think Stephen A is to blame. Uh, he's a part of what was a massive era for that network. On in the middle of the day and crushing it. And right now, you can get ESPN Plus cheaper than you can ESPN on a cable bill. You're paying roughly $9 per month if you have cable, uh, satellite, whatever, and you have ESPN. If you cut the cord, you can have ESPN digital for $2 less per month. That's an issue for ESPN that they've got to figure out. Yeah, and I think what makes ESPN successful and has for a long time, this is me personally talking, it's the games. They're some of the best at doing the games, broadcasting them, bringing them to us, bringing them to our house. Well, They're very, very good at games. But now, Hutton, those games are becoming too expensive to them because of the rights fees to the league. And that may be where we've plateaued a bit with media rights. Maybe. And how much, how much media companies are going to pay if this continues to be an issue for Disney, their parent company. But, but also think, like they have stuck with first take. They have stuck with pardon the interruption. For a reason. I'm thinking of the other shows that are by the wayside now. Yeah, Highly Questionable is what? one of them. Dan Levitard's old show. Um, they had the... Anything with Bamani Jones they've tried. SC6 or whatever they tried. They yeah. tried to roll it. If it, it, it the, the audience that does tune in to those programs that they've kept around... Is loyal. Well, not just loyal, but they understand what's good and what's not. They understand when you're trying to fake it. And I just... I, I don't respect it at all. I respect Stephen A. and Skip because I actually feel like they're putting the work in behind the scenes and not just trying to get credit for being good. There's too much of that. Yeah, there's too a lot much of... of that. People looking for the credit and the glory instead of just busting your ass. That just does not happen anymore. Everyone wants to, a parade around the city for you know a certain number. Well, and just it, it's be it, good. It has nothing to do with accuracy or honesty. Yeah, and it's it's a, to me it's about you're good or you're not. You work or you don't. But be good. Hire good people to be good on their shows, on air, and do not force them into something that they don't want to do. I think when you do that, and I, I, I do think ESPN fell victim to this, the way Merrill Hodge described, I think it comes across as fake. Yes. As phony when someone's well, forced into something. They, they also lost their personality. Yeah. Because... 
in the heyday, even while first take and pardon the eruption were on, you knew the sports center anchors. Well, Dan name. Patrick's a great example who he probably and, got too famous for what ESPN wanted. And he was able to go out and be a huge success on his own, and ESPN didn't like that. Well, because but, he was so famous for how good he was on SportsCenter. But that, I mean, really, the only guy I think right now that would be known is Scott Van Pelt, right? They've kept yeah. they kept around Neil Everett. They kept, uh, uh, I believe it, it was it Stan Everett, maybe Stan Verrett, Stan Verrett, yeah, Verrett, and Neil Verrett. Everett, who just left. I mean, a lot of the the quote unquote anchors you know are not there, and it's just kind of a silhouette of someone reading a prompter, because the news doesn't matter manufactured debate is what they're after just to get eyeballs and they don't have enough of it right now which is why they had the layoffs it's um it's frustrating and i think it's it's multi-tiered the problems with espn that we could spend entire shows discussing i think we've hit on some of the issues now phony manufactured stuff mixed with uh being overly political on one side and then punishing those on the other side and not on one, turning off a majority of sports fans across the country. Yeah. You know, a lot of them turned off by that. There's no doubt that that's been one of the issues. And the other are just exploding rights fees. And when you have all the sports and you're paying for all the rights fees to all the sports and you're spending a ton of money to produce those games the way they do because they do a good job producing those games, they do. it becomes too costly. And not profitable at all, where for years they could print money and unless they were you, very profitable. Unless you have football, the NFL, and then the top-tier college version, right? Big Ten SEC. Yeah. That's where you can actually print some, some dollars and bring in money on the college football playoff. So, ESPN also has that. And someone else who has strong opinions is, is Skip Bayless. He's keeping his name out there right now. Skip Bayless is on a real tear. Um he delivered this uh, in front of what looked to be his garage, his garage door. Uh, I have no idea. After a workout. What exactly the video. Yeah, he's in sweatpants and a workout shirt. No chain this time. No chain for the over 70, right? Isn't he over he's 70? like 71, 71 I think. I yeah. think, Skip Bayless. It's crazy. Um, but he is saying that LeBron manipulated the media, and he's one of the great manipulators in the history of sports, and he manipulated the media into talking about his retirement essentially to deflect from his failures on the court in a four-game sweep against the Nuggets. Um, I mean, I didn't know that... Uh, the champions. I, I was not aware that LeBron James was L. Ron Hubbard and some master manipulator or the Philip Seymour Hoffman character from The Master, the Paul Thomas Anderson film. I was not aware that he had these powers over people to manipulate everyone into talking about retirement with him. I don't think anyone thinks he's actually retiring, right? Yeah. But he's at a point in his career where it's being discussed, but he's not slowing down. I mean, the numbers he's putting up at his age are remarkable considering how much he's played, how deep into the playoffs practically every team he's been a part of go. And where they were, what, midway through the season this year? They compared weren't going to be in the playoffs for a big chunk yeah. of the season. Yeah. Uh, other than load management, I... I mean, we came in and discussed what he had to say whenever they were ousted uh, in four games. But we said at the time we didn't think that he was retiring. I think he wants to go out doing something on the same roster with his son. Yeah, I think we, we thought that for a while. And he's just one of those sports figures that he's become so divisive that Skip Bayless, who hates him, 
has long been anti-LeBron yeah, James. Yeah, but Bayless, by bringing him up, also makes himself relevant when he's not on TV currently. Yeah, but Bayless saying these things about him, and I, I, I'm, I agree with you on that. He's also, he's falling right in line with those who love Michael Jordan and hate LeBron James, would say about LeBron James and his fourth quarter performances in that four-game sweep to, to Denver. There's nothing different there. My point is, there are way too, there are a lot of LeBron defenders for everything in NBA media. And this falls right in line with there's not enough people who will give you an honest opinion, sometimes good and sometimes bad about someone. It's well, either all good or it's all bad. And I don't remember LeBron at the podium. And everyone falls into, the, into their little camps and they talk about every subject matter or every player Black and white, good or bad, yeah. never anything in the middle. Did LeBron even mention the word retirement at the podium? I don't think so. I believe, he, from what I recall, he said something about he's got some things to think about and figure out in the offseason before thinking about next year. Yeah. He's alluding to it, but the media put the word retirement out there. Because they were manipulated. Because he's the great manipulator, yeah. according to 71-year-old Skip Bayless. Zach Arnett is not 71. He is Mississippi State head coach. He's next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. We're back. Mississippi State head coach Zach Arnett, first-year head coach, taking over after um, the sudden loss of life by Mike Leach. Uh, difficult circumstances. New head coach of the Bulldogs will join us about five minutes from now. Longtime head coach Hutton of the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, reportedly on the hot seat. Mm -hmm. And this is not just some small-time blogger up in New Hampshire writing this about Bill Belichick. Tom Curran who's very well respected, who's covered the Patriots for a long time, is saying there is legitimacy to the fact that he's on the hot seat with, with Robert Kraft because there's a, some thought out there that he really can't get it done without Tom Brady. Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston, I believe now, but has it, been there for a while. Like, like you said, a longtime Patriots insider, along with Mike Reese, who also referred to the demands of what we're uh, seeing from Robert Kraft and what we have seen from Robert Kraft, and he wants to make the playoffs and win a game for the first time in five years. Um, 
where there's smoke, there's fire. I, I think this comes down to more than anything, the relationship between the owner and the head coach. Uh, him getting fired, to me, is hard to see. I don't. I, this would be a retirement slash. I'm a coach, and it's time to try something else. And he and Kraft jointly, you know, shake hands and move on. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, kind of the same way Kraft did with Brady. I think he would handle it publicly the same way. It's clear behind the scenes things are just odd. They're off because Reese said that. Yeah, that there's you know, definitely something going on there with conversations that Kraft is saying, you've got to do this. They bring in O'Brien after the failed uh, offensive and defensive coordinator uh, experiment last year or bringing in a D.C. and a special teams coach as a background to call plays for Mac Jones, uh, who Belichick had fall to him at pick 15 two years ago. And now Curran is saying, yeah, like he's on the hot seat this year. And this goes back to 2019, which was Brady's final year and Brady didn't play well that year. I was on the sidelines as Brady threw his final pass in that stadium as a Patriot. It was an interception return for a touchdown. He sucked. They didn't pick. They put up 14 points, I believe, that game. It looked like he was done. It didn't look like he was going to another team and going to revive whatever was going on, and he did. And we haven't seen that same energy from the Patriots organization since Brady left. But he's one. Belichick's the goat, and I don't see the goat being fired by an organization where he's brought all of those Super Bowl rings. And when you walk into the stadium, all you see are the banners of the championship since the 2000s. Well, and it, you know, all of the players go in for warmups and look no, up and count them. There's no denying the ring count with, with Bill Belichick, right? I'm not going to sit here and try to poke holes in it. But is he the goat, or was he part of the goat partnership, which was Belichick Brady together? and what they built, and what they could lead together. I mean, how much long, if it's another it year is, and they don't go to the playoff, if it's two years, if it's three years, at what point would we legitimately say, you know, Bill Belichick really can't get it done without Tom Brady? Well, but I think it's also just, they built, it's both of them. They built the Patriot way. And whatever way they chose to go last year was bizarre. And this feels like, friction based on that with a young quarterback that did not develop like you're supposed to develop in year two. They really, they, they set him back. Now he's got O'Brien, but even it, they're to a point. Uh, you, DeAndre Hopkins, Chad, and Belichick have a massive respect for one another. Belichick loves him. The Patriots could not land him. Hopkins came to the Titans instead of the Patriots with a young QB right there. Where And here in Nashville, he chose to play Tannehill's on his final season with the franchise. That says a lot, too, because there are reports today that New England tried to match whatever offer Tennessee gave, and Hopkins still chose to play in Nashville. Well, a nice tie into this NFL training camp starting today for some teams. Teams with rookies reporting today, Atlanta, Baltimore, Buffalo, KC, the Chargers, Miami, New Orleans, San Francisco. Have they always done it where it's split? In terms of yeah, when so, teams start? So you can choose to bring your rookies in a week before. Okay. Most camps are going to begin July 25th. The Chiefs and the Lions will begin a bit earlier than that because they're on Thursday night football, so yep. they start their season early. And then the two teams... I, I, knew, I knew that exception the with the Jets, team starting on Thursday. Jets and Browns training camp begin tomorrow full because they're in the Hall of Fame game. So there are a lot of rules to this, but you can... 
The rookies can report a week earlier if you want them to. A lot of the teams just bring everybody in. The coaches are coming off vacation. Vrabel's playing out at Lake Tahoe over the weekend. Like they, they just use the extra week because it's more about making sure guys stay healthy than anything else. And they've spent all offseason with the rookies uh, trying to get them up to speed for camp. Most of them are backups anyway. Really good for interest that <clears throat> the Jets get started a week early because of that Hall of Fame game, right? Oh, and with hard knocks? With hard knocks, but with Rodgers. You know, the, now that the clock starts with them yeah, now is with, a with good practice, thing. but no, he's definitely not playing in that game. Hutton, a little earlier today, I caught up with our second SEC head coach so, in as many days. Yeah, so he's one of the top, was one of the top assistant coaches in college football, finalist for that award. Now he's the head coach at Mississippi State, taking over for the late Mike Leach, where he says there's no chance in hell that he could duplicate what Leach meant to college football. SEC Media Day's coverage continues from the Grand Hyatt Hotel downtown Nashville. I'm Chad Withrow. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. And we are joined now by new Mississippi State head coach, Zach Arnett. Coach, appreciate you sitting down with us. What's the whole car wash been like for you, uh, the first go-through? Um, a little bit different, you know, being here, uh, I'm sure for the first time, very different. Yeah, it's a, it's a unique experience, to say the least. I haven't had to make my opening statement yet, right? So I'm yeah. kind of getting a, they're being nice. They're giving me a little appetizer here, introduction. But thanks for having me. Excited to be here. What is your um, preparation level for your opening statement, your first one here? What, what is the game plan as you start to prepare for that? Well, you know, Coach Lee set a pretty high bar for me to, to yep. top last year, you know. It's yep. seven words, so... I, I don't think I'm going to be successful in making it shorter than he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so. It's, it's you know, it, it's, um, it, it's amazing because the circumstances you step into are obviously very unique and very different and, and tragic compared to other head coaches taking over, taking over for a legend and, and Mike Leach uh, who, who passed away. Um, is there a playbook for that? Were there people that you called on and how to handle it? What was the mental approach as you started this task of taking over for a head coach who passed away. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned obviously Coach Leach was a legend, right? His fingerprints are all over the game, particularly off the side of the ball, you know, over his last 20, 25 years. Uh, you know, when I took over, again, it was right there, right before early signing day. We had a bowl game coming up. Uh, so simply put, we kind of just set three priorities. Obviously, number one was be there for our, for our players, for our locker room. You're talking about young men who just lost their, their head coach, their leader. And so priority number one was to provide any support, anything we could to help them get through that. Obviously, us as coaches, you know, job number two, we, we, had a, we had a job to do. We had a signing class to, to keep together. Obviously, it could have fallen apart. Uh, great job by the assistant coaches and, and by the players in our locker room. You know, it's often said that players in your locker room are your best recruiters. So, tremendous job by everyone in the program, reinforcing those relationships, all the reasons why young men and their families chose to commit to Mississippi State in the first place and why that was the best fit for them and their development. Right, I'm proud to say we, we went on to sign a consensus top 25 recruiting class. And then priority number three was we had a football game ahead of us, right? We were going down on what is a, a New Year's Day game. It was on January 2nd, playing a tremendous Illinois team. They had a great year. And we had an opportunity to win nine games for only 10 time in school history and for the fourth time in the last nine years. And our players did just that, right? They blocked out all the noise. They went to work. They knew the best way to honor Coach Leach and his legacy was to have a football team who showed up prepared, ready to compete ready to play because we know that's what our opponent was going to be and it was a heck of a football game and we won it in the end and that was the best way we could honor Coach Leach. What does it say about your program, your staff, and those players who committed to you guys that that recruiting class didn't fall apart? Because I think that surprised you know people to some extent that you were able to hold it together. What, what is the statement there? 
I think it says there are a lot of really good things about Mississippi State and Starkville, Mississippi, than, ju than just Coach Leach, obviously. Uh, of course, he had a, was a tremendous reason why a lot of recruits right, committed, committed in the first place, but there's a lot of reasons you go to a to university and spend the next four or five years of your life developing there other than just the head coach. Right? I mean, you go somewhere where you can see yourself living and being year-round for those four to five years. Most importantly, right, you want to go around a locker room where – you fit in with the other guys because those you're going to spend the most of your time with. Right? Your some of your deepest relationships, right? Are your are your college teammates? You're in their wedding later in life, right? You celebrate the the birth of a first first child, and so again, that's a credit to the the guys in our locker room, right? Reinforcing all those re reasons and re why why recruits wanted to come there in the first place. Yes, Coach Leach was a big part of that, but there's many other reasons. New Mississippi State head coach Zach Garnett, our guest on Hot Mike. I think the assumption would have been, with Mike Leach being this offensive guru, whoever took over for him would be an offensive coordinator on the offensive side of the ball. You come in as a defensive coordinator, now taking over this program. How does the offense change, if at all, under your leadership now and what you want to bring to the program? Yeah, obviously, you know, as a defense coach, you – you know that every defense has a weakness, right? It has a strength and a weakness. And the best, most explosive offenses do a really good job of identifying those weaknesses and exploiting them. Right? Kevin Barbe, he's been one of, one of the best in the country at doing just that at the places he's been. I really admire, talked to a lot of different people in the interview process. Very first question, hey, what is, what is your identity on offense? What's it going to look like? And he simply said, well, I can't tell you that until I know our best 11 players are. Because right? at the end of the day, you got to get the best 11 players on the field and you got to get them in the right place so that you can create space and get the ball in your most explosive player's hands. There's a lot of ways to do that on the offensive side of the ball. Spread you out sideline to sideline and, and four wide receiver sets and empty and call yourself air raid, right? Be more pro style where you have some, the ability to play with tight ends. You're getting uh, more formation variety, shifts, motions, right? Uh, you can get more condensed formations, Uh so there's a lot of ways to go about doing that. but Well, and you get to do it with, uh, with Will Rogers, a yeah. quarterback who's thrown for a lot of yards and seen a lot of things. What's the luxury in having Will Rogers with that experience coming back and how prolific he's been? Well, the luxury is we got the quarterback uh, in the conference coming back with the most starts in the SEC than any, any quarterback in the league, right? Uh, he's a SEC career completions record holder. He holds 29 school individual passing records. Not bad. Uh, simply put, right? I mean, simply put, if he would have put his name in the transfer portal, he could have gone anywhere in the country. I mean, experience is so valuable. You see it all over the place in, in the way people are recruiting transport. Just getting guys who have lined up and played college football, there's value in that. Well, we got the most experienced quarterback coming back, and that's a heck of a luxury to have, like you just mentioned. You know, uh, Greg Sankey opened his remarks talking about NIL and the future of college football. Transfer portal, a big part of that right now. How important is the transfer portal to you? Not just seeing what's in there, but trying to prevent your guys from going into the portal, like you mentioned with Will Rogers, not leaving Mississippi State. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're really proud. I think it's, it speaks a lot about the, the veteran players in our program, the number of them who had really impact years last year, who could have went in the portal, the fact that they decided to come back. I think that says volumes about how they feel about our program and the direction it's headed. Uh, like you said, the transfer portal obviously can be a resource to, if you need a, a immediate depth to come in and compete for, for playing time, you know, that's one avenue to do that. We have a tremendous junior college system in the state of Mississippi. Uh, we, we really believe if, if we 
hammer our recruiting footprint. We can get the best players in the state of Mississippi coming to Mississippi State every year, right? And we have a, a program that pours everything we have into their development. You know, they're not going to want to leave and go to the transfer portal because we, we can win. We can win a whole lot of games. Uh, it's going to be a heck of a place to play, and everyone knows Starkville's a special place. We've got about the most loyal fan base in all college sports. we got another SEC program in the state where you know the head coach is going to say things uh, in Lane Kiffin. He's going to tweet it. He's going to talk about it. Do you plan on enga- engaging Lane Kiffin when he decides to tweet or to, to talk about, about you, your program, or no, about I'm all not, this? I'm not the most active guy on social media <laughs> by any means, so I'll let him handle that space. Coach Kiffin's a tremendous, tremendous coach. Uh, obviously, you've seen his football teams, tremendous offensive play caller, have nothing but the utmost respect for uh, how his football teams play. And, yeah, we'll have some, hopefully we'll have some good battles. You know, different circumstances, but David Braun taking over at Northwestern and an abrupt, quick move as head coach. Different, obviously, but you took takeover in an abrupt way quickly as a head coach. I'm curious, has he reached out to you? Have you guys spoken about that transition at all since he's taken over at Northwestern? No, I haven't. I, you know, I've never spent any time coaching up in that area of the country. Yeah. Uh, well, so. I'm curious just about you know having to take over in, in difficult circumstances. Is there a lesson from what happened at Northwestern with Pat Fitzgerald? Is there something you take back to your team and talk about that you note as a head coach moving forward? Well, I think at first you got to be yourself, right? Obviously, you can't just try to replicate. Uh, you know, in my case. I can't try to just copy Mike Leach. Right? Of I mean, he's one of a kind. He's a pretty yeah. unique guy. It would come off as phony. Uh, in regards to Coach Braun, like you mentioned, he got a lot on his plate right now. He's he's working. He's burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. So uh, he's got a lot more important things going on his day than calling me and, and listening to my advice. Heck, I only played one game as head coach, so he's got a lot. He's got a lot of other better resources he can reach out to and and, and get advice and experience from. Zach Arnett getting ready for his appearance uh, at SEC Media Days in the big ballroom. New head coach at Mississippi State has been our guest. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for hopping on with us. Best of luck moving forward. A difficult circumstances to get this head coaching opportunity, but here you are, a head coach in the best conference in America. Uh, not too bad at your age to be here doing this. So congratulations on the job. Best of luck this season. Hey, thank you very much. Hail State. We'll be back with more. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrum. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow coming to you live downtown Nashville, 6th and Peabody Studios with Old Smoky Moonshine, Yeehaw Beer. A lot going on in Nashville right now, headlined by SEC Media Days. Hutton, we were over there this morning. Business picked up today at Media Days. Georgia and Kirby Smart speaking to the media. Mississippi State, you just heard from head coach Zach Garnett, who joined the show. And then Auburn and Vanderbilt were and the other two tomorrow, teams today. Saban's in town tomorrow. Yes. And then Tennessee Ole Miss will also be Tennessee Ole Thursday. Miss, South Carolina on the final day. It's a big day. The three teams. And tomorrow, yeah, Alabama, Arkansas. And I'll figure out the other two teams eventually. But you know what? Tomorrow's Missouri. tomorrow. Tomorrow's nope. tomorrow. Okay. We'll, we'll yeah. worry about it That's then. Right. 
But uh, a lot more activity at SEC Media Days today, especially with Kirby Smart addressing the media. Yeah, and Kirby Smart, uh, you said, did a great job of showing everyone how he's wonderful in a living room recruiting for Great recruiting pitch. Would be a good motivational speaker. Talked about the books on leadership that he's read. Did a good job laying out. (laughs) He came up and he joked that uh, their SID said he had 10 minutes and no more to address the media. So he put, he's like, I put an alarm here for 10 minutes so I don't go too far over. But then he said when he was done, well, I lied. I, I did, in fact, go over. They've got plenty of time. They've yeah, got all day if they want, right? Yeah, plenty of time. He's going for a third straight national championship. He says he's worried, worried more about complacency than he is this dynasty He talk. said so many coaches don't want to talk about it because, oh, we're always hungry. And he said, we need to talk about it because that, that's a real thing. That could happen when you've won consecutive national titles. We're trying to make sure complacency does not set in. Well, and they have a chance to, you know, up the ante a bit offensively to match that defense that we've seen. New quarterback, you know. Yeah. Well, quarterback, huge question in Tuscaloosa, right, at Alabama. Only five quarterbacks here for SEC Media Days right mm-hmm. now. That shows you the star power at the quarterback position. Not really there. This year in the SEC. Or there's battles that they want to at least act like are battles going into camp. Hutton, I talked to someone a little bit earlier today that knows a lot about quarterback play in the SEC. Yes, and I know you talked with him about both Georgia and Alabama. Chad had the chance earlier today at SEC Media Days to sit down with Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart. SEC Media Day's coverage continues in the Grand Hyatt Hotel downtown Nashville here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Chad Withrow here and joined now by a legend in coverage of the SEC, Mr. College Football himself, Tony Barnhart, the man. He's a renaissance man. He's always busy. We've got a book to talk about. Tony, I appreciate you hopping on with us. I know you're also here with the Dodd Trophy presented by PNC. Uh, what separates this award for coaches in college football from the others? You know, Chad, obviously to, to win a Coach of the Year award, you've got to win a lot of games. Yep. And, and we all understand that. But the, but the Dodd Trophy uh, presented by PNC is, a, is different in the sense that, well, first of all, there's an academic component to it. Uh, your, te- your team has to have an APR of 980 or better to uh, qualify to get on the watch list, okay? Uh, I think the, the best example of how this Coach of the Year award is a little bit different than some of the others, uh, this community service involved there. What do you, what do your players do? But uh, Willie Fritz from Tulane was our winner yep. last year, and one of the things that we do, uh, I'm on, I'm, the, I'm on the board of the Bobby Dodd Coach of the Year Foundation, and one of the things we do after we pick the winner, we go to campus and present the award at a banquet on campus. Uh, he's honored there, and uh, Willie Fritz was uh, our winner. And we went to Tulane, and they, they, we were staying in downtown New Orleans. They bust us out to campus, uh, to the stadium where we were going to have the dinner there in their, in their suite. And uh, when we got there, all the members of the Tulane team were there wearing their jerseys to greet us and sort of escort us around and show us things. And that was, that was really neat. It's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful Coach of the Year uh, award, and I'm, I'm very proud to have my name attached to it. We'll talk about your latest book here momentarily as well, but I know you were in the ballroom when Kirby Smart was talking. Mm-hmm. I was in there as well. Um, <clears throat> not a lot of questions to answer about on-field production. Sure. Back-to-back national championships, but a lot going on with that program in the offseason. I thought he did a good job of, of 
presenting in a way that sidesteps some of the issues while answering the question mm -hmm. about the super speeder violations and the tragedy at Georgia. What do you think currently about that Georgia program and Kirby Smart and what's being done and what needs to be done? Well, what, what, they're, what they're doing is, is they're going through this. So look, there's so many things that we need to backtrack and make sure that we have policies in place uh, to try that this, hope this never happens again. Uh, obviously, the speeding thing has got, is something they've got to work on. And as Kirby Smart said, we have speeding tickets, but are, are you a super speeder, somebody who's 50 miles an hour over the limit? So th th they've got work to do. But it, here's the thing. There really is no instruction manual tell you, telling you how to handle these kind of situations. And I think Georgia is doing what they can, but frankly, they need to do better. Uh, yeah. That's what that's what I've said publicly is I think I think they are trying, but this is something you've got to get a handle on because lives are at stake. Well, I don't think anyone would argue that Jimbo Fisher needs to do better uh, <laughs> with his contract and, and what's gone on at A&M. Um, what did you make of his media appearance here at Media Days where – he just wouldn't answer that Bobby Petrino is, is calling plays. I don't. I don't, I don't we, know. We talked to Billy Lucci from Tex Ags, and he said, I don't know why he wouldn't say it because he is going to be calling plays. What did you make of that, and what do you think about Bobby Petrino with, with Jimbo Fisher? First of all, the, the, the idea is a very good one because one thing that's evolved is we, we've all learned from watching the game, you can't be the head coach and coach one side of the ball. Steve Spurrier did it, and that's about it, all right? And so, first of all, it's hard to do. There's too much going on during the course of the game. There's too much going on in your program. You need to turn it over to somebody who knows what they're doing. What I've said about Bobby Petrino is, like the guy, don't like the guy, whatever, the guy can call ball plays and he can coach quarterbacks, which is something Texas A&M really needs. And so I don't know why Jimbo – I guess he didn't – he doesn't want the, uh, the optics of him saying, well, yeah, I'm really happy that for the first time in 100 years, I'm not calling plays for my team. And so I, I, that, was, that was befuddling why he would take that approach. So I hope that's not an indicator of the way the season's going to go. It's, yeah, not, not a great start for sure. Well, what, what I've said, it, it's either going to be a rousing success or an unmitigated disaster. And because of the egos of those guys coming yeah. into it, that was the initial thing. Was it, There's no doubting Bobby Petrino's offensive acumen. It was can these guys come together and truly collaborate, and will Jimbo Fisher be okay with handing over that responsibility to someone else, right? And as the, as the old coach said, it remains to be seen. Absolutely. Something else that remains to be seen quarterback situation at Alabama mm -hmm. and kind of going back to Georgia also replacing Stetson Bennett you wouldn't think when he got there that would be a big deal but it is a big <laughs> deal with all the success he had and at Alabama Tony is it simply plug and play next guy up and they'll keep rolling along or are there bigger issues there well I don't think it's plug and play now we, we don't know if Jalen Milrow is the answer I mean it, it looks like it but here's the thing about Alabama Alabama hasn't had good quarterback play the last five or six years. They've had elite quarterback yep. play at a very, very high standard. And I don't know that, you know, is it Milrow? I'm always a little nervous when a team adds a quarterback after spring practice. That tells me he wasn't really happy with the level of the competitiveness in that room. So I, I think it remains to be seen. Having said all that, I like this Alabama team. I think they've got a chance to win the West, even though a lot of people are going to pick the LSU. And so, but it, but it really is going to come down to quarterback play because today used to be you could get by with an average quarterback and yep. you were good everywhere else. You you can't do that anymore. You've got to have an elite quarterback. 
quarterback that plays an elite level. And I don't know if Alabama's got that guy or not. Mr. College Football himself, Tony Barnhart, is our guest here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Um, the Northwestern situation with Pat Fitzgerald. What's the lesson with that story? Is there a big takeaway? And this could be either from the university side and how it was handled, which I think it was handled pretty poorly, and also the Pat Fitzgerald side of this. What what is your big takeaway? Well, first of all, it has to be made clear from the very top. And when I mean the very top, I mean the president of the university, that it will not be tolerated. You can can no longer have this boys will be boys, uh, animal house, frat house kind of thing. Listen. I went through moments <laughs> like this when I was a student, uh, when I was a fraternity guy. We used to call it Hell Week. Okay? Yeah. But that, in our culture today, it, that cannot be tolerated on any level. You know, I don't know what Pat Fitzgerald did or what he didn't do. All I know is they, after they doing their preliminary investigation, they decided to make a change. The other thing that they totally botched it, the, I think the president of the university botched it, and all of a sudden he looks up and goes, we may have a real problem here. And you know what? If I don't deal with this as president, I'm vulnerable. And that's, that's why, and I think ultimately that's why he changed his mind and dismissed him. I see Mississippi State had new head coach uh, Zach Arnett uh, over here. So it makes me think about new coaches in the conference. Uh, what are you most anticipating of the new hires in this league, of seeing how things work out in year one? Obviously, Coach Arnett taking over for a legend in, in, in Mike Leach. Well, two, two th- first of all, Coach Arnett has got a task that nobody would want, and that's replacing a popular coach who, who died way too early. And what, But what's interesting is he's got a quarterback who threw for almost 4,000 yards, yep. and guess what? They're not going to throw the ball as much. I think he's, as a defensive coach, you understand you want if you can, you want to shorten the game uh, to give your defense a chance to rest. So how, how that all works out will be fascinating. I don't know what to think of Auburn and Hugh Freeze. I mean, my, my experience with Hugh Freeze is that once he gets the quarterback position figured out, then the rest of it seems to fall into place every place he's been. But I don't, I don't know what he's going to do. He, here again, here's another coach that added a quarterback to his roster after spring practice, which is never a good sign. So I'm, I'm anxious to see how, you know, that pans out. Have we reached the ceiling of Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss and what he's capable of accomplishing there, or is there another level to get to? I think there's another level to get to. It just it was a bizarre situation to start seven and zero, and then all of a sudden the Auburn rumors start flying up, and and you and you and you part of you went, wow, you know, you're not going to pay attention to that. Well, something went wrong after seven and zero. Yeah, and that that you have to believe that was a factor. But I think Ole Miss, yeah, I think under Lane Kiffin, there's another level that they can absolutely get to. Because, listen, here's another, something else. Regardless of how you feel about Lane Kiffin, the guy can call plays and he can develop quarterbacks. He no has, doubt. He has proven that he can do that. And so it'll be interesting to see, though, where Ole Miss fits into that pecking order in the SEC West because it's, it's Alabama and LSU and then the middle class is alive and well from there on. But I just don't know how that's going to pan out. So the 19 of green, football, friendship, and change in the fall of 1970, your latest book. What can you tell us about this? Obviously a football theme for Mr. College Football. Well, the, the fall of 1970, about a million years ago, uh, I was a senior in high school at Greene County High School in Greensboro, Georgia. 
Uh, if you're in Atlanta and you get on I-20 going west, east towards Augusta, when you're about halfway there, it, you jump off the interstate, and that's where I grew up and went to school. In the fall of 1970, the courts said once and for all, the schools of the state of Georgia will be fully, fully integrated. And so that happened, and so as a result, we combined the schools, we combined our two football teams, and we were all excited. We said, man, we're, we'll have 50 guys on our football team. When spring practice was over, we had 19 players, wow. 12 white, 7 black, and that was it. And we went on to, pl to play the season. The good news is, is we won seven out of our last eight. We, played, we won our division championship. We played for the region championship, and it was a very successful season that sort of bonded the community but the story of the 19 of green and it comes from the green county high school and we only had 19 players the story of the 19 of green isn't how many games we won the story is that 52 years after the fact our quarterback my quarterback charles turner is one of my best friends i have a charity golf tournament he plays in mine and he has a charity golf tournament and i play in his we have lunch uh uh, every now and then, and we have stayed in touch. And the neat thing about it is, Charles Turner and I grew up three miles apart, and we never met until we were both seniors in high school yeah. and the schools merged. Can't wait to read it, Tony. Uh, appreciate you stopping by. Uh, have fun the rest of SEC Media Days, and hopefully we get a chance to chat soon. All right, Chad, it's always good to be with you. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football himself. Show rolls on. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. <laughs>